Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for Sunday school teachers, helpers, and for young people who are here this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, two uh, newcomers uh, to our church. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you uh, have your hand upon this young man, this young lady. Uh, Lord, uh, help them. Uh, bless them. Uh, Lord, help us to be a help to them. I pray, Lord, we can be a, a great encouragement to them. Father, work in each class now for your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, youngsters, you may depart to your classes. Go forth and learn. Uh, the rest of us, please. Uh, Revelation 13 this morning. Revelation chapter 13. Uh, Revelation chapter 13 this morning. Uh, praise God for two new students. All right, Revelation 13. Uh, take Bible, please. Head there. This morning we, we um, continue. Uh, down the timeline of the tribulation period this morning, uh, we see the Antichrist uh, and the false prophet. Of course, we've seen uh, allusions to them in the previous chapter, but uh, more here uh, this morning regarding the program of the Antichrist um, and the false prophet. Brother Ray, we understand that these are uh, individuals who um, are empowered uh, evidently by Satan. Uh, the Antichrist is, is an individual uh, human being, uh, evidently, who is empowered by Satan, who uh, his role uh, in the end times, it, forgive me, in the second half tribulation, uh, he seems to be a political leader, right? He's, uh, he's uh, one who assumes a political a role, political leadership over the world. Uh, evidently, the world uh, accepts his leadership uh, at a time of, of chaos and, and difficulty. Of course, we see an awful lot of chaos and trials and tribulations in, in the world today. And uh, we hear uh, some rumblings about desiring uh, an ultimate solution or a, a more perfect leader who could lead us to peace. Well, the Antichrist... Uh, will step up, step forward, and uh, evidently will be received uh, as that answer. Of course, uh, it's a false answer. We see allusions here this morning also to one who is not in this chapter, but later on called uh, the false prophet. Uh, here in the, this chapter, these two are called to, uh, to two beasts. Uh, two beasts. We'll look at that word as, as we dig in here. So, uh, the false prophet, uh, also evidently an individual who's empowered by Satan, uh, whose role is less political and exact more religious. That just makes sense based, based on the, the name uh, or title that's used for this individual. So uh, you have Satan, he's called the dragon, as we've seen. You have the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet. Uh, these have often uh, been observed to be um, in perhaps uh, sort of a, a corrupted uh, idea of the, the triune Godhead. Uh, three individuals who execute their plan, their program, uh, as the Lord allows um, at this time for his purposes. Uh, but we'll see this here this morning. I'm, I'm going to pray again. Let's jump in. Father, thank you again uh, for the privilege to look at these 
uh, verses this morning to look at chapter uh, 13. Uh, Lord, we um, are glad this morning that if we understand correctly, and I believe we do, that we'll not experience uh, these things, uh, any of the things that we see in the book of Revelation. Lord, we're grateful for that. We're thankful for that. We know Christ is the one who's made that possible. Father, we understand this morning also, certainly it's, it's valuable to understand the things that um, we will miss. Uh, Lord, we um, pray this morning that you help us uh, to understand uh, and therein to be uh, grateful that because of Christ, uh, we will uh, miss, not experience these things. Lord, help us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Are you in Revelation 13? Okay, let's jump in here. Uh, verse 1, um, John writes, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And here's language that we saw last week, having seven heads and ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And so uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet are called two beasts. The Antichrist is called a beast. False prophet will be called a beast. Uh, again, individuals who appear to be empowered by uh, Satan for uh, his program uh, that gets carried out in the second half of the tribulation period. Uh, we see allusions here to the uh, political system, the political structure of the world, if we understand correctly, uh, the beast that rises up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, this does seem to be poetic language, not a literal beast rising up out of the sea, uh, but this does seem to be an allusion to the uh, organization of world government at this point in the tribulation period. And we understand uh, comparing scripture with scripture, this, as we said last week, this does seem to be uh, sort of a revived or reconstituted uh, Roman Empire. Uh, we see allusions to that back in uh, Daniel 7, um, uh, as Daniel dealt with the world empires. We're going to go there, uh, back to Daniel in, in a few, well, in short time. Uh, why don't you turn there, actually? Why don't you go there? Daniel 7, uh, we'll be ready for that. Uh, Daniel 7. So uh, the word beast here uh, is interesting. John says, I stood upon the, the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Upon his horns, ten crowns, uh, ten crowns or, or kingdoms or nations uh, would seem to be the idea. Brother Ray, there's um, the use of the word beast here is interesting because we've seen this English word back in, in chapter 5, 4 and 5 actually, um, in the context of the throne room of God and the worship that's happening there. Uh, and then we have the word beast here also. And so we'll take care uh, not to assume that these are the same things. Uh, back in Revelation 4 and 5, the underlying word is a, is a different underlying word than, than we have here. Uh, the underlying word back in Revelation 4 or 5 that's translated beast has the idea of living creature or being, uh, whereas the word that's translated beast here is, is more like the way we might understand it uh, in modern English. It has more the idea of a, 
uh, a wild animal or so something like that, a, a, a wild animal that's uh, savage, uh, a savage wild animal. And so while the English words are the same, we'll take care to understand that uh, the beast that we see here, and it, obviously it becomes very evident very quickly that the beast that we see here is very different uh, from the beasts or beasts that we saw um, described back in the throne room. So uh, good to bear in mind that, that distinction um, as we go forward. So uh, evidently this beast is associated with the uh, ten crowns, the ten kingdoms, does seem to be an allusion to the old Roman Empire uh, having been reconstituted, uh, restored. Um, Daniel 7 and verse 24, if you're, if you're there uh, in, in Daniel, Bible says ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings uh, that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, uh, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue uh, three kings. Uh, later on uh, in Revelation 17, Bible says the ten horns which thou sawest are, are ten kings. And so uh, brother A kings have kingdoms or nations. So this is uh, evidently a, a confederacy of, of ten kings, uh, ten kingdoms. And uh, we don't have time really this morning to look at this, but back in, in Daniel, the, the context of Daniel, sort of the flow of Daniel, uh, the timeline flow would associate this with, again, the idea of uh, the old Roman Empire having been reconstituted um, in Western Europe. I think we mentioned last week that we have uh, the European Union today. It has more than 10 nations, certainly, uh, but it is very much um, like what is alluded to here uh, in that you have the countries, the kingdoms, if you will, uh, of Western Europe having organized themselves into a common market, Brother Ray, they, they have a common currency. Uh, each of the member countries have given over uh, certain power, certain responsibility, a portion of the authority uh, to uh, the, the headquarters of the European Union in, in Brussels. Uh, and so you, you actually have today a structure in place uh, the Antichrist could rise up in the European Union um, uh, hierarchy uh, and, and seize a great deal of control over Western Europe that way very, very quickly. So uh, that doesn't demand that the European Union is necessarily uh, how this will happen, but it is very interesting just to observe that we have a structure in place today uh, that's consistent uh, with the ideas that we see here uh, in the tribulation period. That, of course, doesn't mean that we're in the tribulation period. It just means that uh, it's, it's consistent with the idea that perhaps the stage is being set for uh, the tribulation uh, period. Verse 2 uh, is very interesting, and you won't, we're going to want to go back to Daniel in a minute, but see verse 2. He says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, once you think about these animals, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, uh, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, uh, and the dragon gave him power. So dragon does seem to be Satan. Uh, this beast does seem to be the uh, Antichrist. Uh, Satan gives him power uh, and his seat and great authority. And so 
Um, you know, there's probably a few ways that this verse might be understood, but Brother Ray, I think we do, we do well to let the Bible sort of um, interpret itself to the extent that we can. Um, the three animals that we see here are the same three animals that are used to symbolize the three empires uh, of world power prior to Rome in Daniel 7. Are you in Daniel 7? Uh, go there, please. Take a look at Daniel 7. So remember, Daniel was uh, prophesying the world empires that would follow Babylon. He's been uh, carried off in Babylonian captivity, um, and Lord uses him in a variety of ways, but one of the ways is really as a prophet to prophesy uh, the future kingdoms of the world. So once you just see here the same animals uh, do show up in Daniel. So Daniel 7 uh, in verse 4, uh, these kingdoms, um, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And look down in verse 5, uh, another beast, uh, that's an interesting word also, it's a different underlying word obviously, but interesting. A second like to a bear, uh, so we have a bear in uh, our Revelation passage also, uh, raised itself up. Then look at verse 6, after this I beheld and lo another uh, like a leopard. So a bear, a leopard, uh, a lion, a bear, a leopard in, in Daniel 7 where he's clearly prophesying world empires, world powers uh, that would follow Babylon. Uh, the same three are referenced here uh, in, Re come back to Revelation uh, 2, Revelation 13, verse 2. So, uh, Brother, I think it's, it's reasonable to conclude that these verses are alluding to the same thing, uh, to the same empires. And so, uh, what might be the idea here? Well, I, I think it would be reasonable to conclude that uh, let's look at verse 2 again. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. Uh, his feet were as the feet of a bear. His mouth were as his mouth as the mouth uh, of a lion. And so I think the idea here is that the, uh, the world entity that the uh, Antichrist will rule um, over or through uh, I think John is, is saying that uh, that entity, that, that government, that sort of one world government, if you will, will share characteristics with the world empires that have come before it. Uh, Daniel prophesied them uh, back in Daniel 7. Uh, he prophesied uh, something like what John is seeing in Revelation. Uh, John says this, this empire, this government, this, this uh, global powerful entity that the Antichrist will rule uh, through will have characteristics or traits uh, that will be like those previous uh, kingdoms or empires that Daniel prophesied. So um, just think about, um, I, should have, I should have had a handout for you this morning, I'm sorry I don't, but uh, we know that in Daniel's prophecy, there was uh, Babylon was pictured as a lion. Uh, it was uh, ferocious like a lion. Uh, we know that uh, Daniel prophesied uh, Medo-Persia as a bear, the, the, the kingdom that would follow the Babylonians, the, the brute force of a bear. 
uh, Daniel prophesied a, a lot, an empire that would come after the Medo-Persians. Uh, he called it a leopard. He didn't say that it was Greece, but history records that it was Greece. Uh, one man says uh, calling it a leopard depicted the swiftness uh, of Greece under Alexander the Great. Uh, you have Rome, Rome that follows that. So uh, you have here the idea of, of force and, and brutality and swiftness uh, ferociousness, and so uh, it does seem to be the, the idea that uh, as these previous empires that were prophesied by uh, Daniel, they, they've come to pass, now, now we have uh, this thing that the Antichrist will uh, rule over, and it's sort of the worst uh, of, of what has come before it. It's not, it's not the best of what has come before it, but it is, it is the worst part of all of the prior empires uh, of the world come together now as, as sort of the worst of the worst. If you could take the worst of Babylon and the worst of Persia and the worst uh, of, of the Greek empire, Alexander the Great, and kind of put that all together, uh, and make a one world government, an, an empire that would be the worst of the worst, uh, that's what the Antichrist will have. That's what he will rule uh, over and through as he rises up uh, with satanic power to control the world, uh, evidently during the second part of the tribulation period. And so I think that's uh, really the, the very best way to understand uh, these verses. Um, the worst of what has come before uh, is brought together, and now the worst person who has been uh, will rule over and through the worst governmental system uh, that has ever been. Zach, thankfully, the governmental system that will follow this worst of the worst will be the best of the best because it will have Christ as its ruler, and it will be the millennial kingdom of Christ. So. Uh, you have the world sort of devolving to the point of the, uh, the, the governmental, false governmental system of the tribulation period and the, this false leader, the, the Antichrist, uh, and then Christ will come on the scene, put an end to that, and usher in his kingdom, which will be the best of the best. Uh, and so keep that in mind. Uh, we, we get to the worst of the worst in the tribulation period, uh, but right after that comes the Lord and, and the best of the best. Um, we think about um, the problems of government and the dysfunction of government and the, uh, some of the inequities even in the best economic systems of the world. Uh, we bemoan those things. Well, Brother Ray, that, that will all be done away with. It'll, it'll get worse before it gets better. Uh, but it's going to get a whole lot better. We will have a, a perfect government, uh, a perfectly just economy. Uh, I believe the Bible makes that very clear, actually, with a perfect leader, a perfect ruler um, uh, in the millennium. And so certainly we, we look forward to that. We've got to get through the, uh, the uh, tribulation period first. Here the last part, the last half of, of the tribulation period. Uh, see verse 3. So... This first beast, who does seem to be the Antichrist, uh, he's killed and he's raised again. Uh, verse 3, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, uh, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered uh, after the beast. And so we saw allusions to this previously, but 
Uh, verse 3, I, th I think, is pretty clear. Not a lot of interpretation required here, I don't think. I think this is pretty plainly the Antichrist. Uh, he's, he's killed. Uh, he has a deadly wound, but then he is uh, brought back to life. Brother A, uh, something like uh, a resurrection, right? So you look at that and you say, boy, um, it seems to me like there's uh, a mockery here also. You have a mockery of the uh, triune Godhead, the Trinity, in Satan and the two beasts, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet. Uh, here you have the, uh, the false prophet, uh, a man who is supernaturally empowered, uh, who is killed, he dies, and then he rises again. That sounds like a mockery, Zach, uh, of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This is Satan's business, right? Doesn't really make anything new or unique. He, he mocks and counterfeits uh, what is true. And so this, this seemed to be the case. Now, stop and think about that. Um, this is one who has gained power, visibility, um, if he is obviously killed and then obviously back to life again, uh, that's going to have some people's attention. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Going, going to have the attention uh, of the world. And so uh, not only does he get attention, but it, it seems like there is uh, the response of the world is, is to worship him. Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon, so this is Satan, which gave power unto the beast, uh, the Antichrist, and they worshiped the beast, uh, the resurrected Antichrist, saying, who is like unto the beast, uh, who is able to make war uh, with him? And so that's worship. They're, they're exalting him uh, as, as one who has been resurrected miraculously, uh, they see something supernatural, worthy of worship, uh, and, and he is, he's elevated to one uh, worthy of worship. Zach, I don't know if you've thought about this, but do you think the Antichrist really dies? I think he probably does really die um, in verse 3. Uh, his wound is called deadly. Uh, he was wounded to death. And his deadly wound. So it does sound like he, I mean, that verse makes it pretty plain, I think, that he really did die. Um, and uh, then he's alive. Uh, he's healed. Um, do you think that that implies that there is a cult power uh, that has the power even to heal? I, I, think, I think it does imply that. Uh, that the Lord will allow that here. And certainly we know that there's power in witchcraft and, and Satanism today. There is a very real power in that. It's a dangerous power and it's offensive to God, but it's a real power uh, that the Lord has allowed Satan and his demons to exercise. And you see that here. We'll see that um, in the next hour in Mark 5, where the Lord encounters that uh, demon-possessed man, called demoniac sometimes, possessed with a legion of demons. He has great power. Uh, and so we do well to understand that um, the power of the enemy and his demons is, is very real uh, and very dangerous. Uh, so I think, Zach, we would conclude here that, yeah, he, he died. The Bible does say that. Uh, he's raised again uh, by Satan, 
who has power that the Lord is allowing him to exercise right now, but only, uh, only because the Lord is, is allowing him to exercise that power right now. Uh, so it seems like uh, Satan raises the Antichrist. Uh, people see that and say, hey, he's, he's this godlike figure. We should worship him. Uh, he's given peace to the world, and now he's, he's resurrected. Uh, wow, we, this is even better than, than we thought. Uh, he's not just a man who has been able to bring peace, but... He's a man who's more than a man. It seemed to be the idea. They begin to worship him. Uh, and he, he continues to, to lead uh, and to rule for the, the second half, three and a half year period, 42 months uh, of the tribulation. Verse 5, there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things, blasphemies, so speaking against the Lord. Probably the idea that he is the Lord is, is inherent here. Power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Uh, so again, Satan uh, empowers him as the Lord allows. Uh, he speaks blasphemies. Probably the idea, uh, again, is that he is, he is the Lord. Uh, he deserves to be worshipped as he's been worshipped. Uh, verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle uh, in them that dwell in heaven. And so probably the idea here is that he's um, taking up the, the position or, or the, um, the position of the Lord in, in, in the sense of, of desiring to be worshiped uh, and at the place of worship also. Evidently, he does go into the tribulation uh, temple here called the tabernacle um, and, and desires to be worshiped as we know. Uh, verse seven, and it was given unto him to make war uh, with the saints and to overcome them and power was given uh, him over all kindreds and tongues uh, and nations. Now, Back in chapter 12, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, it seems like the Lord there uh, is alluding to having uh, providentially or uh, protected uh, Jewish believers. And so there's a theory that saints here in verse 7 might refer specifically uh, to Gentiles. That's, that's a debate that you'll see. Uh, but in any event, uh, he is empowered uh, to war against believers um, in the tribulation, to cause difficulty, to cause trial, to cause uh, harm to believers uh, here in the second half of the tribulation period. Um, and then in verse 8, we see that lost people are sure enough, they're worshiping him. Uh, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, uh, this is key, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So uh, people who are not saved, sure enough, they get uh, deceived into worshiping the Antichrist. He's, been, he's a man who's empowered by Satan, takes uh, the place of the Lord uh, in the, uh, the temple. Uh, really, I think the idea here is the demands to be worshiped, but lost people of the world are, are happy to do that. They, they, they worship him. Uh, it's obviously lost people because these are they whose names 
uh, are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb. And this is uh, one of two mentions of Lamb's book of life here in, in Revelation. It's here, uh, if you want to make a note, here in verse 8, and then in Revelation 21, uh, 27 also, chapter 21, verse 27. So if you want to make a note here, uh, you can do that. Um, Brother Ray, what do you make of this? Um, the, the, the book of life of the Lamb, uh, the Lamb is described as slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, that's a very interesting phrase. Uh, the Lamb who is slain uh, from the foundation of the world. Zach, do you have any thoughts on that? Right, so I, th I think that's the idea, that um, the plan of salvation um, was, obviously, we, we know in Scripture that, that, that makes it clear, the Lord's plan for our salvation was architected, was designed by him prior to the creation. Brother Ray, he, he knew that Adam and Eve would fall in the garden. He knew that all men after them would inherit a sin nature that would lead them into sin, uh, and therefore, there would be a need for a savior, a way of salvation. Uh, and so we know the Lord designed the plan of salvation prior to uh, the creation. But here the lamb is described as slain from the foundation uh, of the world. And so that, I think this is consistent with that idea of the prophetic perfect tense idea that we see in the Old Testament. Sometimes the Lord describes things as if they've already been completed, even though they weren't literally already completed. And the idea, seem, it seems to be a, a literary device to convey the certainty that what the Lord prophesies will actually happen. So it's the prophetic perfect tense, the uh, stating something as having been accomplished before it's literally accomplished to convey the certainty of that. So. Uh, I think the idea here is, yeah, the Lord uh, had the plan of salvation before he created the creation. And because it was his plan to send his only begotten son uh, who would die, it was as if Christ had been uh, slain even before the world had been created. I think that's, that's the idea here. Uh, otherwise, you have to say, well, must be Christ was somehow crucified before uh, the world was found. And we know that that's not true. Uh, there wasn't a world. There wasn't a place to be crucified. And so it seems to be consistent with this idea uh, of the perfect um, tense that we see, prophetic perfect idea. Any thoughts or questions on that? Does that, that seem right? Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, please. Absolutely, and that doesn't make you a Calvinist either. It just makes you one who understands the perfect knowledge of the Lord, um, right? We, we certainly would agree that from the foundation of the world before then, the Lord knew who would be saved and who would not be saved. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he chose some to be saved and some not to be saved. It just means he has foreknowledge 
right? We see that in, in the New Testament, the idea of election being, and predestination, forgive me, being consistent with foreknowledge, um, right? I'm, I'm not sure that grammatically I see that here necessarily. I think from the foundation, the world is more consistent with the lamb having been slain. But Gary, certainly, I, I would agree that um, as it was, the certainty with which Christ would be slain, uh, the certainty that you or I would be saved uh, was, I'm not expressing this as clearly as I want to, but it, the, it, in the Lord's foreknowledge, it was certain that we would be saved, uh, just as certain as the fact that Christ would be slain, making it possible for us to be saved. So yeah, I certainly uh, agree, but both both have the same certainty. Uh, let's go a little further here. Uh, verse nine: If if uh, any man have an ear, let him hear. Uh, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Uh, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So probably the idea here is that Lord's people are warned uh, to exercise a godly patience. Uh, rather than um, a sort of a futile resistance. Uh, they're not going to rise up and overcome uh, the Antichrist uh, or, or the false prophet. That, that's not going to happen, um, but they can just, just continue forward with a godly patience, understanding, hey, I've been saved, uh, but this, this timeline, this 42 months, this three and a half years has got to play out uh, some may be killed, uh, I may not be, uh, but um, the Lord would have them to understand. Just, just continue forward uh, with a godly patience. They don't need to invest themselves in, in warring against the Antichrist. Uh, what, what's going to happen is, is going to happen. Then you have the second beast, uh, the false prophet. See this in, in verse 11 uh, down through 14. Uh, we'll look at this uh, kind of quickly, revisit this if we need to. Uh, and so again, two, two beasts, two who are called beasts here. The first one uh, evidently being the Antichrist. He's a political leader uh, empowered by Satan. The second one, uh, second beast, is uh, more of a religious leader empowered by Satan. He's not called the false prophet in this chapter, but if you want to make a note, in Revelation 16 and verse 13, he is. So in 16, 13, and uh, in chapter 19, verse 20, he's called, he's called the false prophet there. So chapter 16, verse 13, chapter 19, verse 20, would seem to be the same one who is described here, uh, is called the false prophet in those chapters. So a, a religious leader uh, who seems to work in concert with the Antichrist, both called beasts, both empowered by Satan for uh, Satan's purposes. So a little bit of uh, what he's like. He's, he's, he's painted as a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Verse 11, John says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, uh, and or, or but he spake as a dragon. Uh, two horns like a lamb, uh, young sheep perhaps, uh, that's what a lamb is. Uh, horns allude to power, uh, but evidently power that would be exercised gently like a sheep. Uh, so again, I think the idea here, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He has Satan's agenda, but doesn't, doesn't necessarily want that to be seen um, immediately. Uh, he'll use demonic power to cause 
lost people to worship the Antichrist, verse 12, he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So exactly there again, it was deadly. Uh, he was healed. He was, he was resurrected. Uh, go back to verse 8. It's those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb that are doing the worshiping. So keep that in mind. That doesn't, there's no indication that saved people uh, are, are worshiping the Antichrist under the influence of, of the false prophet. Uh, verses 13, 14, 15, he will deceive the world uh, with demonic miracles. Uh, no doubt miracles that are made possible uh, by satanic power. Uh, and again, I think probably the idea here is, again, this is a mockery of the miracles of Christ. You know, for example, the miracles of Christ that we see in our study through uh, Mark and the other gospels, uh, there is this whole thing um, is a mockery. Zach, if you think about this, the fact the Antichrist is rising up and kind of taking control of the world and, and, and ruling with supernatural power, that's a mockery of Christ and the millennial reign of Christ. This whole thing is a corrupt mockery of the millennium in, in, in many, many ways. Verse 13, he doeth great wonders not the Antichrist, but the false prophet, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Uh, is that actual fire? Is it lightning? I don't know, but he, the Lord allows him to uh, conduct this miracle. He deceiveth them that dwelleth on the earth by the means of those miracles, uh, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Uh, remember, Satan loves to deceive. He, he's a liar. Uh, he's a deceiver. Uh, we've been studying in, in my college class in Genesis um, sort of the, the theme of the deceit, the family of, of Isaac and, and Jacob and all of the deceit uh, that, that um, characterized that family. The Lord graciously used them in so many great ways despite that. But um, deceit is, is such an ugly thing. It, it is, it is anti-Christ. It, it is demonic. The false prophet here is in the business of deceiving people. Uh, he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which uh, he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast uh, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And uh, so uh, establishing the system of false worship. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak uh, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should, should be killed. And so it uh, seems to be that there's an idol made uh, to the Antichrist and the, 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 the false prophet, this second beast, has power uh, to cause it to come to life. This is probably intended to be a picture or a memorial of the resurrection of the Antichrist after he uh, had received this deadly wound. So it's a system of worship that celebrates the resurrection of the, the false uh, beast, uh, the Antichrist. And so it's, it's just this incredibly wicked, very corrupt uh, system here. 
Um, one thing that's worth noting is that uh, Paul also warned the Thessalonian church of a time that there would be a great delusion. You just make a note. We don't have time to look at it this morning. But 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 8 through 12, uh, Paul warned that there would be a time of, of great delusion, a strong delusion, a strong delusion. And so that would be consistent uh, with this also. Uh, quickly we'll see, we're, we're really out of time, but let's just finish up here. Verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. So this is familiar to us. He, he will require uh, people living then to receive some kind of probably visible mark in order to buy or sell. So they control the economy through this, this mark. You have to have it to buy or sell. No man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Uh, his number is 600, three score and six, or 666. This is something that, you know, people have heard of. People, people know this verse is in scripture. Uh, probably not many people have really thought a lot about what it means. And, and to be honest, it's difficult, right? I'm not sure we can be positively certain about uh, its meaning. Uh, it does seem to be a number that is symbolic and that is associated with evil, uh, with opposition to God, and we could say it this way, with imperfection. Uh, Zach, what's the number of perfection in Scripture? Now, we're not numerologists, right? But we do see the Lord does sometimes use numbers to communicate ideas. What's the number of perfection in Scripture? So this is not seven, it's six, right? And so uh, this number is uh, sort of a falling short of seven. Uh, sin is missing the mark or falling short of, of God's perfection. Uh, so this, this could be the idea. Let me quickly share also, um, before we're done uh, in Revelation, this whole system of the world that is superintended by the Antichrist and the false prophet is referred to as Babylon, right? So we understand that. Babylonian, so it's a reference back to the Babylonian Empire, uh, its false religious system, uh, its economic system, perhaps, uh, perhaps even its numerical system. This is very interesting. The uh, Babylonians had a number system that's different than what's used today. Uh, our system today is based on what? Tens. Babylonian system was based on not sixes, but sixties. Um, the Babylonian math system is why today minutes have 60 seconds, hours have 60 minutes. Uh, it's the reason that a, a circle has 360 degrees. That is a direct descendant of the Babylonian math system all the way back in, in Daniel's time. Uh, we've inherited that sort of down through the ages. And so um, this reference to six might be uh, a reference back to the, the faults the, the totality of the false system of Babylon. It's false faith, it's false, um, uh, it's false everything, false gods, er everything. So uh, obviously it's one short of seven, God's number of perfection, uh, but it may be also an allusion back to uh, the Babylonian 
uh, the literal Babylonian kingdom and uh, its various systems. The world system of the tribulation that the Antichrist leads is called Babylon uh, before we're done. See that Revelation 14, Revelation 16, 17, 18. Uh, we'll see that. We'll revisit that when we get there. We need to stop now. Let's do that. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for the privilege uh, to see these things uh, in your word. Lord, we, we marvel at what is coming in the tribulation period. Lord, thank you again this morning that because of Christ, um, anyone who will be saved prior to the rapture does not need to worry about this. We understand that we'll not experience this. Lord, thank you so much for your grace that is available to us uh, by faith. Thank you for the salvation that is possible to us, despite the fact that we do not deserve it. Lord, we understand that all of this uh, description that we see here is falsehood. It's, it's corruption. It's antichrist. It's contrary uh, to what you desire, what you will ultimately um, offer to your people in the millennium. Lord, we understand that you are allowing uh, these things, or you will allow these things, the second half of the tribulation, for your purposes, for your purposes. Lord, help us not to question that. Father, as we see um, and begin to understand some of these things and uh, compare and contrast to the millennium, Lord, I pray that we, again, would be thankful that you fill our hearts with gratitude that we'll not experience this corruption of the millennium, but, Lord, that we would be reminded to look forward to with great and certain hope that we will experience not this corruption but rather the perfection of Christ and his system in the millennium. I pray, Lord, this morning that that be one uh, goal, one thing that would be accomplished in our study from here forward, that we'd thank you that we'll not experience this and that we'd thank you and we'd have a, a very real hope that, that stays in our minds that um, we will experience not this corruption, but that is that which... Uh, is of Christ, the thousand-year millennial reign of our Savior, followed by a new heaven and a new earth. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have. Father, I love you. I thank you. I thank you so much for each one uh, who came this morning for this time. I pray that it's helpful. Uh, I pray, Lord, that it's ultimately encouraging to us. Uh, pray, Lord, that um, you help us to keep our minds on that which is good and right and true. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You forgive me for.